begin to experience the benefits of having a God who is real. We don't serve a God that was carved out by our own hands and created by our own imagination. We're not idolaters. We serve the living God. We serve a true God. We serve the God of all creation, the God who made everything that is made. Amen. We, we, are, we are a people of faith in God. Yes. We are a people who uh, expect our God to make a difference in our life. We expect our God to show up. We expect him to answer when we call. We expect to hear him when we listen. We expect to find him when we look for him. Amen? And uh, Romans, in chapter 8, verse 28, in the King James Version, says, we know, or it says, and we know, which implies he was talking about some things before he got here. Well, you know, Romans is one of the greatest books in the Bible. It's one of my favorite New Testament books. And uh, I love to study Romans. I've taught through the book of Romans on many occasions. I'm thinking about doing it again. And I, I'm, even, I'm even gathering up some new books on the subject so that I can study and learn more. And, you know, it'd probably take me a whole year to teach through the book of Romans because it's, it's amazing. It's so full of, of wealth. And Romans starts off, you know, talking about how that, uh, you know, we believers, we, we believe in the saving power of the gospel. We're not ashamed of it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. I'm not ashamed of what I believe. I'm so, I'm so confident in what I believe, I'm willing to shout it from the housetops. I'm willing to go on the internet and talk about it. I'm willing to get on radio and talk about it. I'm willing to get an airplane and fly to the othermost parts of the earth and shout about it there. I am confident in what I believe. And then, but then he goes on in Romans chapter 1 talking about all those people who try to suppress what they know about God. They try, to, they try to forget about God. They try to put God out of their minds. And, and then he gets into all the corruption and all the sin and debauchery and reprobate thinking that man falls into when he tries to put God out of his mind. So, you know, with God, if God is in your life and accepted by you and received by you, then you're going to have God's help. God wants to help you. There is saving power in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But if you reject Jesus and you put him out and you suppress any thoughts or ideas about him and you just totally deny him and remove him from your thinking, then you, you are stiff-arming the one who can help you. You are rejecting your mercy. You're rejecting your salvation. And Jesus put it this way. He said, all who believe and are baptized shall be saved, and all who believe not shall be damned. 
The decision and the choice is ours. We can believe unto salvation or we can reject him unto damnation. John 3.16, we love that one, but, you go, it, but at, you know, John 3.17 and 18 says, you know, as many as receive him, you know, are saved, but those who don't believe on him are damned. They're lost forever. That's your decision. You decide. You decide whether or not you want God's help. You decide whether you want God involved in your life, or you can reject him and stiff arm him and don't worry, he's a gentleman. He won't force his assistance on you. Amen? Now, look what he says here in Romans 8, 28. And we know, see, we know, uh, Romans 1, he talks about how man becomes reprobate and falls into all kinds of sin. In Romans chapter 7, or Romans chapter 6, he talks about the power of sin how God has destroyed the sin's power over our lives. We don't have to give ourselves to sin. We can choose to live a life of godliness and righteousness. Sin no longer has any power over us. And then Romans chapter 7 talks about the struggle we have between the spirit and the flesh, between doing what's right and doing what's wrong. And Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this dilemma that I'm in? My, I want to do what's right, but my flesh forces me to do what's wrong. And then he ends that chapter with, I thank God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, talks about life in the Spirit. He introduces life in the Spirit. And here he says in verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. People love that verse. It's one of the most often quoted verses in the New Testament. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Let me read that from the Passion Translation, Romans 8, 28. I like the Passion Translation because it's so passionate. Amen? We need to get passionate about these things. So Romans 8, 28 says, So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. Well, I like that, don't you? Let me read it again. We are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. You see, we believe that God has designed us and made us and built into our personality and into our nature and our character certain abilities, certain talents that he has a plan for. God plans to use everything he has built into you. 
You, you have been designed for a specific purpose. Amen. And everything that God has, the all things that work together, that all things there, if you look at it in the context of Romans 8, is talking about all things that belong to God, all God's spiritual things. The Holy Spirit, faith, the blood of Jesus, the angels, every, everything at God's disposal is working together in concert to bring you to your destiny. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Not everything that happens was meant for you. And not everything's good. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things have happened to you. Well, you can't say God. That was God. That was God, you know. So I have to I have to accept that as God's will. No, a lot of things happened to you that weren't God's will. They were a result of your will. Or the will of someone else that was imposed upon you. You can't say that. Uh, a, 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 a child who's been abused that that was part of God's plan that's not the all things that work together for your good that's not what he's talking about there because that was never God's plan for you never God's purpose for you however it doesn't mean God can't redeem it and turn it for your good but see, he's going to use the power of the Holy Spirit to turn it for your good. He's going to use the power of his grace. He's going to use the power of his mercy. He's going to use the weapons that he uses, the tools that he uses. He's going to use to turn it and make something good out of it. Amen? For you, even if it wasn't in his plan for you, he can somehow or another pull it out, polish it up, trim and you something good in your life. That's right. Amen. And so we need, to, we need to allow him to do that. He knew all about us, verse 29, he knew before we were born. And he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. See, one of his main purposes for you is for you to become like Jesus, for you to be conformed to his image. You see, we, we, te we tend to be goal-oriented. Well, God's goal is for whenever he's finished with whatever he's doing with you that, you, that you are just like Jesus. And you don't have to die for that to happen. You can be Christ-like tomorrow. Wouldn't you rather live the rest of your life Christ-like than to think I gotta wait till I die and go to heaven to be Christ-like. We need to quit procrastinating God's God's purpose in our life. God's purpose is for you to be like Him now. That's good preaching, Pastor. This means the Son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like Him. Having determined our dest having determined our destiny ahead of time. That's what predestination means. 
that God has a plan that he's already set out for you, that he's already put in motion before you ever got here. God puts you in the family you were born in. God puts you in the country you were born in. God arranged for you to be who you are, where you are, at the time you are. And I've preached on this, you know, consider the odds of you being born in the first place. We're all adults here. Let's, let's think about it for just a second. How many millions of sperm go racing towards that one egg and only one of them wins that race? And that was you. Half of the pregnancies in this country are, are terminated, aborted. The fact that you were uh, allowed to go full term and to be born into this world and not aborted. You're a winner. Amen. And then the fact that some of us have lived 80 years or more and in this dangerous world where you can fall over your cat and bust your head or fall head first into a dumpster? I'm just talking about one of us. We could talk about Joyce Fleming and others who are um, you can talk about Brother Harold who more than once has died and come back from the dead. More than once. Before he became a Christian, he put a semi-automatic weapon to his head and pulled the trigger. And it misfired. He pulled it away from and, and, and fired it, and it fired. Put it back to his head, it misfired again. Took it away, it fired. Third time, he figured that he wasn't supposed to do that. <laughs> and he got born again. His life, his life, his whole story is a miracle. He's our drummer. We've got a miracle. And I can look out and tell such stories about every one of you. Samuel one day was just on the, walking on the sidewalk and suddenly stopped. Something, something caused him to stop and an out-of-control vehicle just came across in front of him. Was that, wasn't that you? I think so. I remember... Something similar to that. He's forgotten it already. His mama hadn't. She saw it. You see, they happen because we have a love relationship with God. And God is active in our life to preserve our life so that we can live and fulfill our destiny. I believe I'm a person who has destiny. I believe you're a person with destiny. And it's predetermined. It doesn't mean it's automatically going to be fulfilled. It's not fatalism. There's a difference between predestination and fatalism. 
Predestination means God has a plan. Fatalism means you, can't, you don't have any choice in the matter. We make choices every day that thwart God's plan. And so, you know, so what does all this mean? Well, it means that, that God is, is determined to stand with us. Look, look in Romans 8.31 in the Passion Translation. He actually asked this question, so what does all this mean? All this that I've been reading, what does it mean? That all things work together for good to them that love God. What, is it, what does this mean that we have a predetermined destiny? Well, he tells us what's it, what it means here in verse 31. So what does all this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me, who will ever stand against us? There's a certain in For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his Son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. See, if God gave us Jesus, which was his best, it's illogical to think that God would say no to any lesser gift. You're his special child. See, you're the one he gave up his son for. That's how much he loves you. So what you something so great, so grand that God would say no to you about. He's already given you the best. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit, which is, which is another great gift. The Bible calls it the down payment of our inheritance. <laughs> the earnest. That means the down payment. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of what God has for us. Who then, verse 33, who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? Now, this is a rhetorical question. The answer should be no, but there are stupid people out there. There are stupid people that would accuse you. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. His crowd, they love to accuse Christians. They love to call us crazy. They love to call us fanatics. They love to call us all kinds of names. But who cares? Who cares? I've been called things all my life. Some things I can repeat, other things I can't repeat. But who cares? Am I going to go around offended because some people make, make accusations? No. That's just their problem. The fact is that none of their accusations can stand. There was a time in my life when I was 30 years old that, uh, that some church people got uh, bent out of shape against me. I'm not going to go into the details, but they were wrong. I was right. I wanted to follow God. They didn't. And we followed God. Amen. I, always, I always follow God. If I have a choice to follow you or God, I'm going to follow God. Amen. Amen. Amen? And so I followed God. They got mad. And so they started spreading rumors about me. They actually spread the rumor that I was a drunk. 
that I was an alcoholic, and uh, and that I and I eventually had to leave the church because God says two cannot walk together unless they be in agreement, and God says they're not in agreement with you. Get away from them, and so I got away from them. Really? I kept doing what God told me to do. I didn't leave town, much to their chagrin. I didn't leave town. I just moved over and kept doing what God told me to do. And, uh, and so they, they started spreading these rumors about me that I was an alcoholic, a drunkard, and that they had to fire me because of that. And, uh, and I, I knew these rumors were spreading because I, I, I went home one night. My neighbor is leaning up against his garage door smoking a weed. I could smell the marijuana. And he said, hey, preacher. And I said, hey, neighbor, I hear you stink. You know, I mean, I gave it back to him. But that was, that was the kind of harassment I was getting. And I, I went to prayer about it, and, and this scripture came up. It says, who would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them not guilty. Who then is going to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us. And so I began to realize, you know, that their, their accusations, their rumors, their lies about me, uh, I knew they were false. People who really knew me knew me they, they were false. They knew I was a teetotaler. At that time in my life, I'd never even tasted communion wine, much less beer and alcohol. These were virgin lips. Since then, I have, you know, I, I did go to an Episcopalian communion service one day, and they slipped some wine in the, in the cup, and I thought, ooh, this is awful. This stuff is spoiled. <laughs> Amen. And then, you know, I married a Baptist, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, she, she didn't see anything wrong with it, you know. You know, uh, you know, you know, something to relax you once in a while, and and uh, and so she said, "Taste this." So I tasted it, and bang! You know, that's awful. <laughs> then I broke out in hives and itches all over, and I found out I was allergic to the stuff. Thank God! Thank God, I'm allergic to the stuff. I'm not even tempted now. Well, no, I never was anyway. It stinks, and it tastes bad. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Somebody gave me a glass of wine one time, and I said, could you pass the sugar? <laughs> the stuff was so bitter, I thought, man, this place, this, this, I thought grapes were sweet. I said, this needs sugar and some ice. And they just looked at me like I was crazy. Well, I'm, you know what, folks? I don't preach that having wine with your meal and whatever is a sin. And I'm not saying you're a sin if you, if you want a, you know, a Bud Light to relax yourself after a hard day at work. I had a great friend who was our church piano player. He worked hard all day, and he'd come home, and he'd, have, he'd pour himself a rum and Coke. And he'd sit at his piano, and he would play and worship, and worship the Lord while he drank his rum and Coke. And he asked me one day, he said, what do you think about this? And I said, I don't think anything about it. Who am I to condemn you? Because I know this scripture. Amen. Who am I to accuse you? Who am I to condemn you? Mm -hmm. Jim Gorcheski, when he got saved, 
<laughs> took me across. His house was across the street from the church. Took me into his house one day, went into his kitchen, opened his refrigerator, and it was full of Budweiser. He said, what do you think about this, preacher? And I say, where's the milk? You know, where's the good stuff? He said, well, you know, I didn't condemn him. I never said a word to him about drinking. He was raised Polish Catholic people. But do you know, after a few weeks, God himself said, I, I wish you wouldn't do that. And so he gave it up because the Lord, whom he loved, wanted him to surrender it, and he surrendered it willingly and had no withdrawals. And he was borderline alcoholic. God filled him with the Holy Ghost. He's now a deacon in a church in, in Georgia, serving the Lord. But his pastor never said a word to him about it. I don't, I don't condemn people for smoking cigarettes. I don't believe smoking cigarettes will send you to hell. It smell, you make you smell like you've been there. But I don't condemn you. I know, I know that when, when things like that become addictive, I know how hard it is to kick it. Because I had a dad who smoked. He smoked filterless pell-mell cigarettes from the time he was 11 years old till he was 70 years old. And every time he tried to quit, he would nearly die. And it did affect his health. It knocked seven years off of his life. But in his last three years, he did quit smoking. And he was no more holy after he quit smoking than he was while he was smoking. Smoking or not smoking does not make you holy. Holiness, and we're hearing about it on Wednesday nights right now. Holiness is simply living a separated life unto God. Giving your life to God. That's what holiness is, is when you give your life to God. And you live a separated life. You become a, a, a sanctuary for the God to dwell in. You become a, you become, and then God, God can sweep his own house. God can cleanse his own house. God can help you get free of these things. Who am I to condemn you? Who am I to say anything against you? According to this scripture, that's not my place. Only Jesus has the authority to do it. And it says in verse 34, certainly not Jesus. He won't do it. Jesus won't even condemn you. For he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? Who can separate us from the endless love of God? Oh, who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing has the power to diminish his love toward us. In case uh, you want to come up with something, he comes up with a list here. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, 
and death threats. No, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Even though it is written, even though it is written, all day long we face death threats for your sake. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. That, that's written somewhere. But then he says, in the Passion Translation, yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors, and his love is our glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. Do you have that confidence? Amen. There's nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death. Life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There's future circumstances that can weaken his love. Well, look at that. There's nothing in our present or future circumstances that can make God love you less. So, you're smoking cigarettes? Those cigarettes can't make God love you less. Does he want you to quit? Of course he does. But here's the good thing about it. He'll help you quit. <laughs> he'll, he'll deliver you from their power. He doesn't want you smoking them, but he's not going to condemn you and slap you and harangue you and, and, and withdraw his love and support from you because you smoke. He's going to come in with all his mighty power, with all of his tools, with everything in his arsenal to help separate you from that addiction. That's what he means by all things work together for your good. Everything God's got is going to come and help you. Amen. Good stuff. So there's nothing in your present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be... ...on us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. I hope you go back and, and, and really meditate in these verses because it'll make you feel really good about you and Jesus. So Romans 8.28 says that God uses all things for our good. doesn't say all things are good. It just says he uses it. Chapters 1 through 7, as I mentioned, speak of the struggle that we have against evil, uh, uh, the world, the, our own flesh. But Romans 8.29 says that God, that God wants to change us and conform us into the image of His Son. And to do that might require some suffering. You know, Jesus suffered. It might even require some dying. Jesus, Jesus died. 
You say, oh, yeah, but he died for us in our place. Yes, he did, but he also said, take up your cross and follow me. The Christian life, the Christian life involves some shaping up, some polishing. As Jimmy mentioned Wednesday night, some uh, woodshed experiences where we are chastened of the Lord. And he says that no chastening is pleasant, but it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So we, we are in this life, we are in training, and in training you get sore muscles. In training you sweat. In training you get tired. When you're So not everything God does in us You heard the old saying, no pain, no gain. Amen? So when God is working out His plan in our life, there might be some rough edges that need to be sanded down, chipped away, and all that. I was talking to my brother Jerry yesterday, and he said, he said last few months, about six months, his, his hearing started going. He couldn't hear. And he said he would, he would go to the doctor or the clinic, you know, and the nurse would say something to him. He, could, he said, I, I can't understand you. They take their mask off and yell in his face. He said, I still can't understand you. He said, I found out that women don't like it when you don't hear them. And he said, all the women at church were getting mad at me because they'd come up and say something to me. And I, 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 I said, I, I don't understand you. I can't hear you. So finally, uh, you know, uh, a nurse convinced him to go to eye, ear, nose, and throat specialist. And they looked down in his ear and they said, well, your, your, uh, your ear canals have completely closed up. Nothing can get to your eardrums. He said, I guess 75 years of, you know, growing potatoes in there, kind of, you know, all the wax hardened and everything. So he said, he said, that nurse got what looked like a tiny little chisel and a hammer and got in there and started chiseling away. And, and, and he, said, he said, the deeper she got, the louder it got. And, and he said, my hair standing straight up, and I'm, I'm bracing myself in a chair, and I'm about ready to scream. And, and she's just in there just, you know, just breaking that stuff up and sucking it out. And he said, now I can hear real good. But he's not going to tell the ladies that because he doesn't want them coming around talking to him so much. You know, he's a, he's a widower, so, you know, all the little old ladies in the church, you can imagine. But anyway, <laughs> but listening to him talk about that, I thought, now isn't that the process, though? Some things require a little hammer and chiseling. Because God's determined to make you like Jesus, whether, you know, whether it pains you or not. And God's looking at the, he's looking at the big picture. So we may endure a little pain for the moment, but joy comes in the morning, right? Amen? And so all things work together for good to those who love God. In Romans 10, 13, says, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So God will come to the rescue of everyone who calls on him. Amen. How many of you believe that? 
Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, God will come rushing to the rescue of any person who will allow him to help them. Well, what if we refuse his help? Look in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to show you something that just, it just it's just mind-boggling. But it's true. And we've all done it. I just want you to see it's possible. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, let's start with verse 24. 2 Timothy 2.24, and I'm in the King James. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. Now, I'm, I'm putting myself in the category of being a servant of the Lord. How about you? Amen. So, we're not supposed to argue with people. Strive means to argue and debate. But rather, we're supposed to be gentle to all men, apt to teach. Now, apt means ready, prepared. We, we, we're supposed to be gentle with people and prepared, ready, and poised to help them, to assist them, to teach them. And then he says, patient. We got to be patient. Why? Why do we need to be patient? Because we got to wait for them to be willing to receive our help. Yeah. People are always asking me, Pastor, why don't you go over so and so and so and, and, and tell them what for? Well, that's not being patient. That's not being, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go help them. But until they ask me, until they're willing, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to go because that would be striving with them. Yeah. And I'm not, uh, not for you or my wife or anybody else, am I going to go to somebody and try to straighten them out if, they don't, if they're not willing? Yeah. Might as well spit in the wind. You know how messy that is. But verse 25 says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, that if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. You see, we're supposed to very gently and very meekly instruct people who oppose themselves. And I, I, first time I read that, I thought, why would anybody oppose himself? Well, anytime you refuse God's help, you're opposing yourself. Amen. You are your own worst enemy. If God has the power to rescue you, and you say, no thank you, I'll, I'll handle this myself, then, then you're, you'd become your own worst enemy. Why would you resist divine help just because you want to pridefully 
figure it out yourself. So God tells the servant of the Lord, and he's talking to Pastor Timothy here, he tells Pastor Timothy, you know, you go to him, you patiently, kindly, and gently offer your help, and if they oppose you, if they say no, then you, you just stand ready, you just stay ready, ready, because when, when uh, they find out that they can't help themselves, maybe, maybe they'll let God in. Amen? All things work together for those who love God. But if you don't love God, you're going to resist God. I see our country in that position right now. God is pleading with America. He's sent prophets to warn America. He's called on pastors and pulpits to get up and, and preach and warn America. Not that God's mad and that God's uh, condemning America, but God wants to save this country. God has said through his prophets that I, I don't want to lose America. I love America. I love this country. This is my country. God wants to save it. But so far, America's saying, no, we're self-sufficient. We're going to handle it ourselves. We're going to make alliances with other people in the world, other ungodly, Christ-rejecting people in the world, and we're going to figure this thing out ourselves, and we're going to solve our own problems. Well, until America says, Lord, come on in and help us. And so... God has to allow this country to get desperate enough to receive his help. How bad is it going to have to get before America as a whole, as a nation, calls upon the name of the Lord? Because when we do, we'll be saved. Now the church should be doing that now. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. We should be doing that now. But if the church is prideful, if the church is saying to the Holy Spirit, we don't need your help. We've got our programs and we've got our traditions and we've got our, our rituals and we don't have room for the Holy Ghost to do anything. Then we're in trouble. Until the church calls for help. How can God make everything work together for the good of the church? So it's important for us to do our part, amen? And let down the shield and the barrier that stands between us and God's help. The good thing that God is doing transcends this life and carries us over into eternity. I want to get on board. I, I want to I get on board with this this plan that God has for my life today and for my life eternally. Yeah. And if I don't get on board today, I'll never see that eternal destiny, which has got to be something because it's going to last forever. This life is transitory. This life is like a vapor. This life is going to be over like that. I don't know how long I'm going to live, but if I live to be 120, that's short compared to eternity. And the good
important for me long term than it is for me to get what I want today. But I know that everything that's happening today, if I'm yielded to God and if I submit to his will and purpose in my life, everything that's happening today is going to impact me today, tomorrow, the rest of my life, and the rest of eternity. And I want to get with the program. Amen? Look in Revelation 21 and verse 6 in the King James. Revelation 21 and verse 6. And he said unto me, it is done. One of these days, God's going to look at your life and say, it's done. I'm finished. And when he says that, I want, I want it to be the right picture. Don't you? He says, I am Alpha and Omega. That's beginning and end. The beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst. Everybody say, a thirst. That means thirsty. That means you crave it, you want it, you desire it. I will give unto him that is thirsty of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Is this what you want? When it's all said and done, is this how you want it to be? Do you, you, want, you want to be able to drink of the water of life freely without any restriction? Do you want to inherit everything? Do you want to be God's son? All that's required is that we, is that we get with the program. <laughs> Amen? That we let God. That we allow God to move into our life and to make everything work together for our good, for our benefit. Can you say amen? That is a great promise, but it is not a promise without condition. Amen? It's not a promise without condition. You've got to love God. And you've got to let God. God wants you to trust. He wants you to trust him to work all things for your good. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, let's stop there and we're going to have communion. Amen. <clears throat> Brother Robert's going to serve us with the communion elements. <clears throat> Amen. See, God had a plan. And he sent Jesus. Jesus gave his life and shed his blood that we might live and that the blood of God would run through our veins. Can you say praise the Lord? There's power in it. I think we sung about that. Power in the blood. Wonderful working power in the blood. Amen. It's greater than you know. One time I was, my wife and I, we were working at the church. 
and uh, she wanted me to put some stuff up on a tall shelf. So I, I got on a ladder, step ladder, and I lifted these heavy boxes up above my head and put them up on the ladder. And while I was doing that, I got hit with vertigo and I almost fell off the ladder. And I got down off the ladder, I was dizzy and my heart was beating real fast. And so I, I asked her to lock up the church. I went and sat in the car. And I sat on the passenger side because my intention was she was gonna turn out the lights and lock the door and then she was gonna take me the three blocks to the hospital so I could get checked out. And uh, I must have been pretty uh, uh, scared because <coughs> I didn't trust that hospital. You know, it was not a good hospital. So I'm sitting out there in the car <coughs> chest is hurting I'm dizzy and I said Lord this ain't right <coughs> good old Texas talk Lord this ain't right I'm a believer I don't want to go down to that hospital and have those ungodly antichrist people lay their hands on me and mess with me And besides that, Lord, I have a covenant with you that's sealed in the blood of your own Son that says, by his stripes I am healed. And I said, Lord, I'm not going. You're going to heal me right now or I'm going to die sitting right here in this parking lot. When Norma came out of the church got in the driver's seat she looked at me and says where to and I said home I'm fine I was well I was completely healed but here were here were the words that came out of my mouth I have a covenant with God that's sealed in the blood of his own son that says with his stripes I am healed and I just repeated it over. I have a covenant with the Almighty God that says by the I'm going with God. I said it over and over again. And the longer I waited, the louder I got. And the louder I got, the better I felt. And then I went home and I was fine. Never had any recurrence of that. Never had any more symptoms. And that was at least 30 years ago. Let's thank him for the body. Lord, I want to thank you for the body that was broken. That our bodies might be healed. And I thank you, Lord, that by the stripes that were laid upon your back at that whipping post, Every disease and every malady and infirmity known to man was applied to the back of the Lord Jesus. And with those wounds, those stripes,
We are healed, we were healed, and we'll always be healed. And we thank you, Lord, that we can call upon your name right now and that you will come rushing in to rid us of all circumstances to the contrary and make it right in our bodies. And everybody said, yes, amen. Yes, amen. amen. Let's eat together. And, hey, let's be healed together. And then let's seal it. Let's seal it with the blood of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the blood that seals our redemption, that locks us in to the inheritance and the benefits that Jesus bought with his own blood. We receive it now. And everybody said amen. Amen. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. Say that with me. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. Everything that God promised is mine. Amen. And he's going to make everything. <clears throat> All the angels. His Holy Spirit. His Word. His grace. His mercy. His faith. Everything God's got is going to work my life and all the circumstances of my life and make them turn to good. Amen. Just like Jesus took the water and turned it into wine. God can take your lack and turn it into abundance. Amen. Praise God. All right. Well, with that, I'll let you go. And uh, uh, I would I would advise you to go back to Romans chapter 8 and just meditate on those scriptures. Look at them in some different translations. Milk it. Meditate means to milk it. <laughs> it means to utter, mutter, and roll it over in your mind. You need to do that uh, with these scriptures because they'll... they'll uh, They'll put you on a Holy Ghost high. Yeah. They sure will. And there's no high like the most high. Amen. God bless you.